Our sermon today uh, deals with Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, um, a theme of complete or completion. Uh, but before we get in there, I wanted to share a little story. Now, Ken has tons of stories that he gets to share from all the time. I'm always jealous of him. I've got like two, so I think I used one a few years ago in Portugal. This is my second one. Um, how many of you guys have ever uh, been on a track team? Anyone? Okay. Excellent. This side of the room is doing a lot better than this side. You guys got to <laughs> step it up. Uh, so I wanted to share a little bit about a time that I had in track. Uh, but before I do, Emily, can you shoot up there the picture of, okay, first, clear action, clear action. Okay, here's me running in middle school, okay? Notice the shorts a little longer. You know, in middle school, you're a little more self-conscious about things, okay? Then we move on to high school, Okay, the shorts start getting a little lower. I mean, higher, uh, my bad. Uh, notice how in every picture I'm beating people from Newburgh. I just want you guys to know that. <laughs> Can be rules, all right. And then also, I ran in college as well, okay? I'm not gonna say these are the shortest shorts, but they're pretty short, okay? Um, and so finally, I want us to bring our attention to uh, when I ran an 800. Does anyone know what an 800 is? It's two laps around the track, as fast as possible. Uh, this specific race is not the one I'm going to be talking about, but it's what I could get. So, um, But the 800, you start in a waterfall, which means everyone's kind of lined up diagonally uh, across the start line. And eventually, you, you guys cut in on the far corner so that everyone's running in a single line around the track. Okay. 800s are known for their brutality. Uh, they're outlawed in about 250 countries except our own. Um, I don't know if you can say it's fun. It's something. It's not fun. Um, but you do it for the glory of the victory. Um, and so one specific time I wanted to share with you guys about was an 800 that I ran. Um, now, this was around my birthday, okay? And so because it was my birthday, I wanted to do something special for my birthday. So I saw a poster um, for a Red Cross blood drive. Uh, now we have one coming up, and so please attend. It's a great opportunity. Now I will warn you, if you're planning on running an 800 later in the day, that's probably not a good idea, okay? <laughs> I see Sarah back there, she's saying, that's a horrible idea. Any nurse could tell you that, why didn't they? And so anyways, I didn't tell my coach that I donated blood on the day of my birth. Um, and that's okay, because uh, it sort of worked out. By sort, I mean it didn't, but, but we'll get there. So um, on the poster for the Red Cross blood drive, they said, you can save three lives if you donate blood. I thought, that's a cool way to spend my birthday, saving lives. I'm a real-life superhero. Isn't that right, Jessica? Okay, I still am a superhero. Have I given blood since then? No, but I, <laughs> I love supporting, supporting blood drives. They're really important. Um, so anyways, so we, we, you know, fast forward a couple hours, I had given blood, I was a little woozy, you know, you get the orange juice and the granola bar, but I'm not fully, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what I was thinking, but it was good. So we get to this 800, and it's out in McMinnville, I think, and so we're lining up, and in the 800, if you can break two minutes, you're amazing, you're in, at least in high school. College is another matter. But in the 800, it's all about you're trying to run 60 seconds around the first lap of the track. And then whatever you get after that, that's what you get. Um, so you can go out as fast and hard as you can, but you got to stick to that 60 seconds. So fast forward, I'm in the middle of this race. The first lap goes by. We're getting in in 58 seconds. This is a great time, 
Okay? For me, my personal best was like two minutes and eight seconds because you always go out faster than you can come back because if anyone's run it before, your legs feel like they're on fire and you just want to fall down. Well, now, picture this. You've also donated blood. Your legs are on fire. You're on that last 200, and I'm in first place for the first time all season. I'm like, yes, I'm going to finally do it. I'm going to break two minutes and flat. Well, here comes the finish line. All of a sudden, the light fades from my eyes, and I literally pass out. I hit the red track. I do a little tumble. My legs cross the finish line. Now, before you celebrate, there's a little-known fact that in the OSAA rules, if your legs cross the finish line and your torso doesn't, it doesn't count. I ran a 158 at the time that I passed out with my legs over the line. The only problem was my torso wasn't over the line. So I'm down for the count for about three to five seconds, and people are passing me, you know, and I come to, and I'm like, what just happened? And then I kind of like have to roll myself across the finish line because no one knows what to do with me. They're like, what happened to him? This isn't normal. Joe's not normal. And so, sadly, I got like a 213 because I just kind of passed out halfway across the finish line. So all that to say, this is why you don't give blood and run an 800, <laughs> okay? So sometimes we run races in our life in such a manner. <laughs> and sometimes they don't always go the way that we want them to. Uh, we see the destination, right? We see the finish line back there. Um, but we don't always have a whole lot of control over how we're going to get there. And in my case, I had no control. You know, I had, that was a poor decision. Don't ever do that. But please still continue to give blood. Just take a day off from your track meet. Um, you know, the thing is, though, that there's only one person that has control over how we finish this race of life. Um, and I wanted us to look at a simple reminder from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse 6. Um, so let's go there. Now Paul is speaking to the church in Philippi when he says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And you're saying, Joe, you can't preach on one verse. Well, too bad, guys. It's my turn, my turn to break it up into three parts. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the three parts of this passage. Paul's story, Jesus' story, and our story. And so the first part that we're going to be talking about is Paul's story. And in that, um, it's those first four words of the passage. I am sure of this. Paul is the one speaking to the Philippians of here. here. Now, I'm going to assume that most of you guys know the story of Paul. Okay, nod your head, yes, yes, good job. Okay, if you don't, that's okay, pretend to nod. Um, but let's give you a little backstory. Uh, let's turn to Philippians 3, chapter four, uh, 3, verse 4 through 8 real quick. You guys are going to be doing a lot of quick mini flippings, so just be ready for that. If you can't keep up, we have it on the screen for a reason. Philippians 3, 4 through 8 says, Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh... I have more. Paul's kind of humble bragging here. Uh, he says, Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Dang, so far he's got a good rap sheet. Let's keep it going. But everything that was gained to me, 
I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider, consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. Now, your Bible translators kind of had to, you know, that dung word, it, it's a strong dung, okay? It's not just, you know, your cat in a litter box dung, it's like an elephant dung. It's, it's bad, okay? You notice the contrast between the first, four ver- the first couple verses and those last couple verses. Paul was everything and everything, and yet Paul was nothing and nothing. See, Paul was a Pharisee that tortured and murdered Christians who eventually was blinded by Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus directs him to meet with a man named Ananias, and his life was forever changed. He became one of the most influential figures of our faith, and his legacy continues with us today. Hence, we're reading from Philippians, Paul's letter to Philippi. Um, Paul is also the author of this letter to the church of Philippi, which was located in Greece. I was going to put a map here, but we're just going to pretend we know where it is, okay? Philippi, Greece. We need to be careful to note this passage functions as a personal letter first and foremost. Paul wasn't writing uh, a theological treatise or a 95 theses here. He's saying, this is my personal letter to you, the Church of Philippi. And the power of this letter to effect change on the Church of Philippi was based on his personal relationship with the Church at Philippi. Um, And so for Paul, joy was not the result of finding himself comfortable in the circumstances that he had, but seeing the gospel make progress through his circumstances and through the circumstances of the Philippians, whatever they might be. And I think we see this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 18 and 2.17. Philippians chapter 1, 18 says, What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether they're from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. And then in Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, it says, But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So Paul is therefore joyful when he remembers the Philippians in prayer because God is at work in their midst. It's not because everything was going perfectly. It's because God was at work whether the circumstances were good or whether they were not so good. He also has two important reasons why he has joy uh, for them when it comes to his relationship with the Philippians. The first reason is that the Church of Philippi entered into a partnership with him. Uh, The Greek word for partnership here is koinonia. Okay, if you take two things from my sermon today, you'll know two Greek words. Okay, I hope that's two more than Ken does during his sermon, but we'll see. We'll have to check the tapes on that one. Um, Partnership, it's such a cool word to think about the church partnering with Paul. Uh, In our day and age, do we always have an opportunity to partner with Paul? Well, sort of vicariously, not really, but you you get the point. It's important. And uh, it was so uh, essential that they provided practical support of the mission of the gospel as a church. Now, is this something that we can do today? Of course, and we're gonna see some ways that we can do that later on. Uh, But what they did was they did this by proclaiming the gospel and meeting the practical, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual needs of other believers, okay? 
How do we reach out to others if we don't reach in to ourselves as well? That's an important thing Paul's bringing up here. The second reason for Paul's joyful thankfulness, as he likes to call it, is his confidence that God will complete the good work that he has begun in the Philippians on the day of Christ Jesus. It's a work that God alone accomplishes, uh, but the notion is that it's not yet complete. So this is talking about a progressive transformation of being made holy. What's a fancy word we call that? Sanctification. Oh, I think that's something we learned in Romans recently, haven't we? It's almost like we've been all through this together, and it's wonderful. I love the book of Romans. So what that brings us to is the fact that Jesus alone, God alone, is the one that can complete the story. And so I think we need to look at Jesus' story um, for us to look further into what Paul is saying to the Philippians. And so the next part, too, is that he started, he who started a good work in you. Jesus is the one who started the good work in you, okay? See, sanctification is a translation of the Greek word hagia asmos, okay? Thank you, Ken. It means holiness or separation, to be set apart, okay? Um, In the past, God granted us justification, which is a once and for all positional holiness in Christ. Now, in the current state, God gives us to maturity a practical progressive holiness. And in the future, God will give us glorification, a permanent, ultimate holiness. You see, Jesus entered our stories to sanctify us and to prepare a way for us to run the race of faith and to be made whole and complete. Past, present, and future, Jesus is at work in the process of making us holy and making us to be more like him. Uh, We see that in Hebrews chapter 1. And Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, Long ago God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is God's final and definitive revelation, surpassing the Old Testament. For he is the Son of God, the agent of creation, the very glory of God, and the one who purifies from sin. And when his work was complete, he sat down on the right hand of God in eager anticipation of the day when all things would be made complete. Hmm, that kind of sounds like the day of the Lord. Oh, One of the things that I've enjoyed doing in my personal study time or when I'm working on a lesson for our students is to watch videos from The Bible Project. If you haven't heard of it yet, I'm here to give you a taste of the glory. It's such a good thing to understand what is the Bible saying on this passage or this theme. And I think when it comes to the day of the Lord, uh, some of us may be stronger than others in knowing exactly what that is. Um, For me, I took a video and learned a whole lot about it, and so I wanted to share that with you guys today. So the day of the Lord is both the past, present, and future reality. That's not something that I thought of all the time. Usually I think of the ending part with Jesus with a sword and a tattoo on his thigh and he's going to go kill everything. You know, sadly I'm mistaken, and I think sometimes we can be too. Um, But how does this apply to our own salvation? One of my favorite Uh, passage about faith and works 
is in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, which says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such a faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed. But you don't give them what the body needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. The good work of salvation, then, includes God's gift to believers, both the will and the ability to do good works. The presence of these good works provides evidence of real faith that God has begun and will complete in the person who displays them. Because of their partnership in the gospel and the lives of other believers, Paul is joyfully thankful because it stands for the confirmation of the work that God is doing in the lives of the Philippians, which will be completed on the day of Christ Jesus. And Paul is ecstatic for them. You see, Paul is writing to the Philippians about the true faith that they partnered with him in the spread of the gospel. That's all well and good, but that does bring up a question. What does Paul's words of encouragement have to do with our own stories? And that's where we get to part three, the ending of the verse in Philippians chapter one, verse six, which says, we'll carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And this is where we get to our story. In our own lives, I think there are several ways, both personally and corporately, that we can apply what Paul is commanding the church Philippi on. This is how it ties into our own lives. Now, personally, while some days the race may feel like running an 800 after donating blood, and you pass out on the finish line, and, you know, things don't go as your way. But Jesus alone is the one who will carry out the work of salvation in our lives to completion. Everything we do is in response to the one who called us, who is faithful to fulfill his promise to us on the day of Christ Jesus. And Jesus alone is the one that can do that. I think a pair of examples in First and Second Peter offer us a guide of how we can carry on personally in faith until that day. In First Peter chapter 2, verses 1-5, through 5, it says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word, so that you may grow up in your salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, and being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. And then in Second Peter verses 1 through 5, 8, I mean, sorry, you know what I mean. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, Self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are some of the things that we can do personally. But I think sometimes we get too focused on what do we do individually, and we don't always have a focus on what should we the church in Clackamas or the church of America or the church of the world should be doing together. I think one of those things uh, is that Paul formed a partnership, a koinonia with the church of Philippi. And that was to proclaim and provide practical support of the gospel. 
They did so by having unity, faithfulness, and perceptive love for one another. Uh, One of the ways that we can do this is that we need to identify the barriers that divide us uh, who claim to be Christians. I think we need to break those barriers down, and I think Paul said such in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. He says, Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I become all things to all people, so that I may be every, by every possible means save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel, so that I may share in the blessings. That's a lot of different people groups. Okay, and he mentions Christ's law is the law that guides him. That's the same law that we have today that we live under. And we find that in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 through 31. This law applies to all of us. We don't have the get out of jail free card for this law. I'm sorry, we all have to keep up our end of the bargain. Mark 12, 30 through 31 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Let that sink in, that last part. It says there are no other command greater than these. See, we should be willing to preserve the unity of the church by foregoing our own rights and ensuring the rights of others. Another way that we model partnership is supporting believers who are using their gifts for the advancement of the gospel, sacrificially and consistently. Pastor Ken talked about our shape and our spiritual gifts over the last couple weeks. Those are some of the ways that we can use in supporting people who are proclaiming the gospel, or, our, or we ourselves can be proclaiming the gospel. Um, and this is all a part about how we spiritually mature, grow, and produce fruit that can be seen as evidence of our salvation. It's all part of the same cycle. And I want to focus on the fact that we can't do this alone, right? The day of the Lord, our salvation, our sanctification, all of it has to do with Jesus, the one who can complete the race because we can't do it on our own. The church in every generation needs to ask who among its number will continue its legacy of love and unity until the day of Christ Jesus. May we all be ready to do our part, just like Isaiah says in Isaiah 6, 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, who should I send? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. Now, I want you to think back to like 80s movies like Princess Bride and other things, you know, when the the older gentleman is reading a book to his young grandson and, and the son is listening for a while, but there's always that one point where they ask the question, you never answered my question. What, what now? Like, what, what's going on? You know, and there's always that hang-up where you think they've been listening the entire time, but the reality is we're 30 minutes in, and you're thinking, what now? 
I don't know. <laughs> you know, I think I find myself there too when it comes to the story of our completion, the story of our salvation, the story of our sanctification, all of these things. Uh, the fact is, it's not yet complete, right? The day of the Lord is a past, present, and future reality. And our salvation, our sanctification is a past, present, and future reality. Looking back at my time running a race after donating blood, which is a horrible idea, horrible idea, it was worth every pint. <laughs> after coming back to, I realized that I was on the ground. I looked at the time. I looked at the awkward people stepping over me as I was just a carcass on the road. And I asked myself, now what? Now what? The fact is, no matter what happened in Paul's story, no matter what happens in our story, God is the author of those stories, and through his son's story, will carry it on to completion. Because of that, I can collapse halfway past the finish line and halfway behind, knowing that Jesus is still in control, and a day will come when it all will be as it should be. Now, Paul later in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24, gives a little benediction, and I want to leave you guys with this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Let us put our trust in the one who will complete our journey. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you went before us, that you are with us now, and that you will be coming back again. Lord, you know the journeys that we're on, the speed bumps, the trips, the falls, or the joyous things as well. Lord, may we partner with you and partner with others in spreading your gospel, in spreading your love, and showing the world that you have a better way. And so, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that we have hearing from Paul so long ago, something that can help us every day of our lives. And so, Lord, we give you this time. In your name I pray. Amen.